If it sounds like and looks like I've just woken up, that's because I have. So hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. I missed last week's episode because, let me think of a good reason. Um, I didn't feel ready to do one. I didn't feel like doing solo podcasts was actually of much value. So I put the word out there. I asked people, should I continue to do them? And uh, surprisingly, a, a good number of people said yes. So thank you for that. <laughs> I uh, needed that confidence boost or that reason to, to do them solo. And I asked people what they would like me to talk about. And there was quite a few different subjects. But the one that brought my or caught my attention the most was fatherhood and surprisingly fertility, which I <laughs> which um I'll share what I my limited knowledge in, on that. And how things have changed for me and how they can change for you and for anyone when you become a parent, especially during COVID, especially um, if you are self-employed. So, (laughs) yeah, they say, I I was looking at quotes about fatherhood and I was thinking, I'm going to start this podcast by saying a really profound quote. And um, I couldn't really find anything about fatherhood specifically. But the best and most accurate thing I've heard someone say, um, someone who I look up to a lot, is Joe Rogan. Um, And he simply said, fatherhood or becoming a parent changes you. That's it. It changes you. And I thought this was, uh, um, is it hyperbole when someone just says something to exaggerate it? I thought this was just something that um, people said because you can't really have a kid and then say, nah, I don't feel anything. (laughs) I feel the same because that may make you seem a bit um, of a psychopath. I'll take it back to the beginning before I even met Rach. I didn't think at one stage I thought I'm never going to be a dad because I didn't find, well, firstly, I wasn't emotionally ready. I was spent a lot of my life being, especially in relationships, very selfish. I would, um, you know, things like, and this is something I haven't actually told anyone, um, I would have a big difficulty in sharing a bed, sleeping in the same bed for the whole night um, because I'm a really light sleeper. I remember at one stage in my life, I thought to myself, how am I ever going to meet someone and stay with someone if I can't even share a bed with them for the whole night? Uh, this wasn't always an issue, but occasionally it was. And um, this is a massive issue for, it seemed in my experience for women, because I think um, from my experience, part of the thing that a woman likes in a man is to feel protected by him, um, to feel that closeness Uh, physically to him to have that affection and sharing a bed is part of that I do know couples that um, older couples that now sleep you know sleep in separate beds and uh, this is from people I know their parents who do that it's quite rare but it does happen and um, but it's not I don't think it's it's I won't make a judgment but I think it's nice to sleep in the same bed if you can or, or nap together as much as you can Anyway, I'm going down a rabbit hole here already. So um, I was quite selfish when I was younger. And I was too immature, I would say, to to be a supportive partner in a relationship. And then when I met Rach, I was, I mean, how old was I? I was 36 when I met Rach. I'm 38 now. And, um, you know, 36, that's a lot of living that done. There's a lot you learn about yourself. So stop drinking. I stopped taking any drugs. Stopped. Um, 
I was working for myself and I realized that I need to be a lot more responsible. And um, and when you don't go out anymore, that you don't go out clubbing, drinking, you start to realize that all of that stuff is, is fun and all that stuff is great and it's good to do that now and then. Um, but it's all noise, really. Um, it's You go out uh, and your relationships become very transient very disposable and that isn't I don't think a way to be happy going forward in life I think we all want companionship we all want that closeness to someone some some person and um, and to feel that vulnerability and that's an exchange we give each other and therefore you you really need each other and I I I, I find that relationships are quite interesting and how culture and relationships or culture affects relationships and vice versa like i was watching this amy winehouse documentary and then which i'm sure you've seen amy it's brilliant but in this interview anyway that she did she talks about how um she loves the music of the 60s the 50s compared to music now and that's because back then the if you listen to all the do what music and stuff women are talking about they need a man you know i my it's like my prince charming my my hero and then similarly would talk about how it's their their honey or their baby and it's their only one and it was very sweet and very you could say almost kind of sickly romantic but still romantic and it's amazing how pop music reflects our culture because now, although there are your Ed Sheeran's, is it Sheeran or Sheeran? I don't know. But you have people like that who still do love songs. Um, if you look at, like, say, Beyonce, um, it, if you like it, you should put a ring on it or something like that. Like, basically, um, and if you don't, I don't need you. I pay my own bills and all this kind of stuff. And similarly, the men are talking about, um, I mean, the way men talk about women, especially in rap music and how they... If they one woman, they get another woman. It's very um, they don't mean anything. The women to them, they just go one to the next. Um, so I feel like our culture, dating wise, has become a bit like that. You know, with Tinder, with Bumble, these apps, you just swipe. If you don't like someone, you go to the next person, and it just becomes basically what they look like, what height are they, what shape are they, and. Um, that's how they're they're valued and if they're not good enough you go to the next one so i did i did that i spent a bit of time on um not going to the next one um but i, I spent a bit of time on tinder and that will crush your confidence because on, on tinder a big thing is how tall are you uh, or just generally what do you look like that's pretty much it you know that's how we're valuing relationships when we use things like this it's all metrics and measurements um and so that didn't really work. It was a bit of a disaster actually doing the Tinder thing. So I went off all of that. Um, plenty of fish as well. Shout out to Plenty of Fish. I don't know if that's still going. Um, but um, then when I met Rach, it was organically. We met for yoga. And I spoke about this before, but the key draw to me uh, with Rach um well, firstly, it wasn't, I mean, it's in a yoga class, so she wasn't done up at all, your hair was all tied back, no makeup on, whatever. Um, but we got talking, you see, and you, you know when you meet someone and you kind of, it's things that you can't pick up online. It's their, their body language, their, um, their eye contact, um, and, and obviously what they say as well and how they say it. But um, it was the main draw for me with Rach was how kind she was. I mean, um, the fact that I remember speaking to her and saying like, oh, what are you doing later? And she said, oh, I'm um, I'm learning sign language because I think it's important that uh, p people who can't hear, yeah, can't hear, they are um, feel like they're part of a community outside of their the deaf community. I thought, wow, that that's... I mean, for me, I almost instantly fell in love because I thought I thought that is such a kind thing to do, and I, I feel like um, I would, I could I be that selfless and do something like that, 
and she'd go with her mum to learn sign language. And I thought, my God, this is um, this is someone that's, that's special. And that stuck with me then. And the relationship itself took months and months to actually develop before we actually went out on our first date. But we went out on, we had our first date July 13th. And she moved in two months later to my, to live with me. And we, I'll get personal here because Rachel said it's okay that I, I do that. So, um, because I think it's, yeah, I, mean, I want to be as honest as, as I can. Um, so that's, uh, that's quick, like to move in with someone. And then less than a year and a half later, I mean, it was a year later, Rach went off um, contraception and um, we got pregnant pretty much straight away. Uh, there was um, a miscarriage there um, before the pregnancy. And I think this is important to talk about because you, there's some things you don't put on social media and some things you do. And... Uh, life isn't always smooth sailing and maybe we'll talk about this that situation when Rach is on the podcast in a bit more detail if she wants to but she said it's okay to say it and I and I think this is important to tell you the the truth because you look we can look at other people's lives and think it's all good and everything is great um, but that's not always the case and often some some things shouldn't go on social media um, all the time uh, I think you should be, we should be quite selective about what we, we do put out there. But at the same time, uh, it's important to express warts and all, as they would say, you know, the good and the bad. Because if it can help people to understand that if you're going through a bad situation, miscarriage, whatever it may be, that uh, you're not the only one. But yeah, we found out <clears throat> on New Year's Eve that Rach was um, pregnant. And uh, what uh, eight months later, um, Eve was born, who is our daughter, which sounds weird to say that. So that's when. So when does fatherhood begin? I wonder. Does it begin when, like in Korea, you are you're not the age you are from the day you were born. That's not your birth. That is technically your birthday. But in Korea, they count your life from when you were conceived. That's how old you are. So they add nine months onto that. Sorry if you're Korean or you know Korean culture and I've misrepresented that. But it's something like that. You kind of get nine months extra uh, onto your onto your lifespan. Um, so my question is, is, when does fatherhood begin? I, I'll tell you how I felt. When Rach told me she was pregnant, I was over the moon. Um, it wasn't even because that's what I wanted. And... Um, I I know I didn't think it was going to happen because I didn't know what my fertility was like. She didn't know what her fertility was like, especially after um, what happened before. And as soon as you find out, you're delighted. But then there's a, a tidal wave of worry that comes because you think, what if something bad happens now? We've got a whole eight months to wait. What if... Um, the baby's not healthy. So what if the baby is born but they're not healthy? So you're, you've got that on your mind always. Uh, I don't know how much battery I've got left in this, so I'm just going to keep going until it runs out. And if it runs out, I'll just get, uh, I'll get another battery. Um, so this is kind of this kind of worries you. Um, sorry, one second. I'm sipping my. I'm drinking matcha tea. Um, I've tried to stop drinking coffee because I do like coffee. It's great but it messes me up in the afternoon and evening time. So just have a little sip of matcha. Yeah, it's nice. Not as nice as coffee, but yeah. Yes. So people said, oh, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? And we hadn't found out yet. And I didn't, for some reason, I just assumed it was going to be a boy. I think because I am a boy and if it's a boy, I can relate to a boy maybe a bit easier than I can a girl makes sense we have the same equipment and you know um that kind of thing <laughs> that's that's my that's my like that's how um anyway that's my thought pattern and then um but i didn't really care if it was a boy or a girl what i did care about was the baby was healthy 
And this is something you never want to discuss because what happens, let's be honest, if the baby is born and they're not healthy and then you feel bad because you thought about that and then it happened and now you think, okay, well, uh, how does that change the baby's life, our life and and, uh, how difficult is this going to be for everyone involved? And that's a difficult conversation to have. So we went to the doctors. I think it's the 20-week scan when you get the gender, when you find out the gender. But anyway, scan was done. Doctor writes down, I think, F or M on a little bit of card on the actual ultra scan itself. And then you go to the pound shop or the euro shop and you give it to them and then they put a balloon together and the balloon is going to have either pink balloons or pink um, confetti in it or blue confetti in it. And uh, we get into the uh, the car, we drive, drive to Rachel's parents. Social distance, of course, we did it outside. And um, yeah, we popped the balloon, all the pink um, confetti came out. And Rachel's kind of in shock, but I'd actually seen the pink confetti in the balloon because the balloon was, balloon was black and it was a really sunny day. And because the sun was coming through the balloon, you could see all the pink confetti. So I knew actually before we even popped it what the gender was. But it was brilliant. And um, we it was, it was like a dream looking back on that day because it was, I think it was like a, I don't know, June or something like that, May, June. And it was really sunny and uh, it was kind of a hazy afternoon. And uh, yeah, it was it was pretty magical actually. We... We felt like um, we were excited. You start picturing them, what they're going to look like, um, obviously the name. And uh, we got into the car and we played uh, Stevie Wonder on the driving back, Isn't She Lovely? And I started choking up. I was just like, Rachel was crying. I was like, I'm going to cry here. Um, and uh, yeah, she, Rachel was like, God, I, I've never seen Kev cry. This is, this is kind of weird. Um but it was real, it was, I mean, Stevie Wonder. You, you cry listening to you on here because it's so brilliant, but it was really moving. And I remember the next day, right? Here's, here's to tie this back to rap music. The next day I woke up to go for a run and I put on my, uh, I've just my workout playlist to kind of get you going. And I couldn't listen to it. I couldn't actually listen to the rap music because you know, in rap music, uh, they refer to him in certain ways, so use certain words. And I was like, I can't do it. Because like, <laughs> I know I'm going to have a daughter. And I was thinking about someone talking about her that way. So um, I thought, whoa, this is, this is interesting. And it took me a while. I mean, I do like rap music. I understand it's, it's art and it's not real life. Uh, it's entertainment. Um, so it took me a while to get over that and you know now I do listen to rap music and all different kinds of music and different lyrics and I understand that um, I can create a separation in my mind you know Um, but yeah I thought wow okay already I feel like that protective uh, instinct coming over me and and this didn't really go away when I mean I I, I adore Rach I love her to bits Um, she's the most important person in my life and now obviously Eve. But w- when you really love someone, if you're a man, you love a woman, and then the woman gets pregnant, it's like this, uh, it's like they're like, become like a god to you because you they're growing a child inside of them. They're making a life and half of it is you. And p- plus the shape of a pregnant woman is, is really uh, beautiful. You don't see it that often. Like it used to be a case of women would wear the maternity dresses to cover up their bump, but now it's the women like to show off. And um, and I'm obviously I'm biased, but Rach would look so beautiful when she was pregnant. Um, she was really like healthy uh, looking, and uh, I I thought I'm really gonna miss this when she's not pregnant anymore because um, she looks like I mean it is like a god. Because they're creating life. Um, and as well, w- pregnant women are treated differently, I noticed, by, by society. P- 
people would like stop her in the street and talk to her, um, give up their seat for her. People would um, just, you're, you have a responsibility that's suddenly been given to you. You're, you're, you're kind of, she's not really doing anything. Well, she is obviously inside. There's a lot of work going on. And it's very tiring. But um, no, let me retract that actually. She's doing a lot. <laughs> um, so I, I started to feel really, really protective. And this, this, uh, I got to tell you a story. Sorry, one second, I'm saying one sip. I got this neighbor. I'm going to be careful what I say here because I don't want to be liable for anything um, if they went legal, legal with me. But uh, I've had issues with this neighbor for a while, and a, a lot of people have where I live. And this neighbor has been disturbing um, us or my sleep, really. Uh, in certain ways <laughs> trying to be really vague here just in case I get sued or something so they've been disturbing uh, my sleep for like a year it's been ongoing and completely unreasonable again I won't go into detail but uh, anyone in those situation was like yeah they're bang out of order what they're doing but it was just affecting me so I thought look maybe I should just wear earplugs um, figure out something, speak to them, which I did do many times, and try to reason with them. And then one night, Rach was maybe seven months pregnant. They were doing their behavior, and Rach got really annoyed. She couldn't sleep. And already, because she's heavily pregnant as well, she... Um, she found that it, 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 she was getting stressed out. And I'm thinking, right, the last thing that I can accept is Rachel, pregnant, our kid, getting stressed. So I, again, I don't want to leave myself liable to this. Um, I unleashed the beast. <laughs> I uh, Now, I didn't get violent at all in any way. And when I say violence, you know, people say words of violence. There were words exchanged. There wasn't. Physic any, any physical exchange, words are not violence, in my opinion. Violence is violence. Um, but put it this way, uh, there was a um, confrontation and the person is not, has since never, uh, the behavior stopped. But Rach said she'd never seen me that way. She'd never seen, uh, and I, I don't think I've ever been that angry. But it was amazing what that brought out in me. It's like, you are threatening my woman and my child. And this is where I draw the line. And I don't want to go past this line because it won't be, won't be good for anyone. Uh, and I'm not a tough guy at all, completely not. Um, but I do know that you will, you will um, take action when, when, you're th when you're threatened, when your family's threatened. And it's different now because it's not my mum and dad. Obviously, I, I care about them a lot. I die for them, you know. Well, I like, you know, I love mum and dad. But when it's your kid and your missus or your partner, um, you definitely it it changes how you uh, interact with the world. But yeah, it worked out well. <laughs> I mean, the, that behaviour stopped, um, and. I'm not I'm not condoning that behavior but sometimes you got to do what you got to do and uh it worked and no one was hurt so which is good yes so there was that situation but that was a, b a big difference to the quality of our life and um I was thinking let's just get to 8 months let's get to 8 months rates you know, then that's, uh, I think that's term or, you know, that's there, they could baby can be viable, which is a horrible word. I think after eight months or seven months or something like that, then it was right now, let's get to nine months, but you're constantly worried. Any little thing that, how they feel like the, is the baby going to come early? Is it going to be dangerous, etc. Um, yeah, that worry never really goes away and it becomes a huge buildup. So it gets to a stage where you're like, right, 
are we going to get to a due date? And um, to fast forward a bit, we get to September 13th. And I said, oh, sorry, excuse me, September 12th, which was when she was due. And it's like, okay, great. Now is she going to go over? <laughs> and what challenges is that going to present? Well, thank God, or thank whoever's up there or down there, um, the next day, uh, again, maybe I won't go into this in detail about how <laughs> my nose always seems to get itchy when I'm doing this podcast. One second, give it a scratch. Use my hand. I'm not right. <clears throat> anyway, um, September 13th arrives and Rach goes into labor. Again, it's best to talk about how she went to labor, what happened when she's on the podcast because it's quite personal. Um, and I'm like, well, should we go to the hospital? Uh, and you think in the movies or the films that it's a big deal, you know, you everyone goes mad, I've, my waters are broke, or quickly let's get to the hospital and you're going through traffic and you know, breaking red lights. But it wasn't like that at all. It was like, should we go to the hospital? Or do you want to go for a walk first? Or should we go for a walk after or whatever? It was real chill. Um, but that's because Rach is real chill. So we drive to the hospital. We drive to Hollis Street, which is now called a National Maternity Hospital. And we get in there at 20 past four. Rach, I'm doing what I can do. I mean, which, which is not much, but I'm trying to coach Rach. And I'm trying to use the positive affirmations that we uh, we learned, you know, that we can to help her to get through it. And again, I won't go into the detail because maybe Rachel is best to talk about this in terms of um, interventions and all that type of stuff. But when it came to what we thought would be the final, the final few pushes, um, I the. T- the intensity, my God, I, it was like a real bit up inside me because you're worried because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, how long are you going to be there for? And I'm looking at Rach. She's in all fours position. There's two midwives down one end of her. I'm down the head end, her head. And I'm just looking at her face. She's holding onto my arm. Her nails are like digging into my forearm. But, you know, the adrenaline is so high, you don't really feel it. And obviously she's going through what she said was the worst pain in her life because she had no, um, like, is it epidural? I mean, had no interventions like drugs or anything like that. The blood vessels in her face burst. All right, her eyes are all red and she's making noises like guttural noises, uh, really primal noises that I've never heard before. And the intensity like builds to a, a climax and next thing you know, the, the midwife says, we can see the uh, the crowning. We can see the head. So I, uh, I'm like, all right, that's great. But uh, what is, well, I don't know. I don't know what that means. That's, is that enough? Next thing you know, the head comes out. And they're like, the head is out. The head is out. It's great. And I'm thinking, there's no noise. The, the baby's not making any noise at all. So I'm starting to worry now, like, is the baby alive? In, in the film's the baby comes out and they're crying straight away and the baby's crying that is i'm looking at the midwife's faces and they are they don't seem concerned their kind of eyes are open they're half smiling um saying come on good girl keep pushing etc um and rachel's like i can't do this i can't you know i've had enough like what happens if she stops now what do you do then so she keeps pushing, keeps pushing them. Right, you need to get the body out now. Get the body out, and it's like, fucking hell, this is man, this is intense. Um, and I don't know. I'm, I'm just saying, come on, Rach, come on, darling, you can do this. Like, yeah, what else can I say? I mean, I'm not much use apart from that. So then the body comes out, and it's like, hallelujah, the body's out again. No noise whatsoever, at all. Next thing you know, midwife picks Eve up aloft in the air and then uh she starts crying making noises starts uh and i just break down completely like collapse hands on my face head down just sobbing 
uh, and I'm really sobbing uncontrollably because it's a mix of relief and um, gratefulness, I suppose. Uh, you know, you're grateful as well that that Rach is okay and that the baby's making and you know making sounds, etc. And that was that that they put the baby, they put Eve then on this thing to measure it. I suppose you call it a scale. <laughs> and um, they said um, seven pounds or whatever the weight was. Um, yeah, it was seven pounds. And um, sorry. And. Then Rachel's in shock. Rachel doesn't know what's going on. I think all the the, the physical uh, effort had just exhausted her. So she collapses onto the bed. She's seated, uh, kind of seated up, and they give her the baby, they give her Eve. But she doesn't know where. To, she doesn't know where to look, what to do, and um, she doesn't even actually look at the baby because she's so. She's looking at me. She's kind of in shock, and then she looks down at the baby. You know, I take a picture, which is the one she put up on Instagram, and it's that face. She has the perfect expression in her face. It's one of joy, relief, love. It's 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 really beautiful. <clears throat> and uh, then the baby's given to me, and his, obviously that's the one I put on Instagram. And uh, yeah, it's you f you feel it straight away. <clears throat> like um, I have heard stories of fathers saying, "I didn't feel anything." child's born you know you, you get to know them when they start interacting not for me I uh I felt it straight away I felt bonded to the kids straight away it felt very natural I never held a baby before uh because I had no interest in babies people go oh here's a picture of my kid don't care I don't have a kid so I'm not into kids and um yeah it looks like a baby whatever you know um that's the that's to be honest with you I know paternal instinct but then when it's yours well personally speaking and maybe it's being a man or just being i don't know whatever it, it was like this instant connection i'm looking at her she's looking back at me or she's looking whatever she can see whether it's like a, a shadow i'm like well she kind of looks like me a bit even though she's just born this is mad and um they're so they can't do anything so you feel like all right now i, I I'm, I'm really needed now like uh, i gotta do stuff so um, right, go home, get the clothes, get stuff, drinks, whatever, bring it back in the next day for Eve uh, and for H. So I say not for Eve. But yeah, straight away, I came into the hospital. I felt just, I was um, put a onesie on her, which is a video, a funny video actually, but I never shared it. I would, probably would never share it publicly, but uh, it's quite a funny video of me putting a onesie on her. But yeah, it felt very natural, just holding her like I'd done it before. And uh, and it has done since. So <clears throat> this is a really, I thought it was going to be like 20 minutes. Now, God bless you if you're still listening to this. Um, one second. So now being a dad during COVID, this has um, been different to what I thought it would be because we can't have family around. It used to be that you. This is what one of our neighbours was telling us. Who's a breastfeeding um, professional, she or expert. It used to be generations ago where the mother was breastfeeding, and the um, her mother and mother-in-law would come around. I think they call it a lay-in, and they would look after the mother who's just had the kid. Um, and they'd take care of her and they'd have like a, a support unit, you know, a little team basically. And I believe I shouldn't, I should, should, I should, I shouldn't be always referencing Korea, but in some parts of the world, other women would breastfeed the kid as well. So not just the mother and they'd lactate at the same time. If I've got that wrong, let me know. Um, but I heard that in, in Korea anyway, especially like during hard times that other women would breastfeed the, the kid. So they kind of share the responsibility, but now that's not possible. So my, I'm playing loads of different roles, not breastfeeding, obviously, but um, not far off. I mean, obviously I fed the baby the bottle and um, 
I, I'm, I'm, Rach is, is working very hard um, looking after baby, breastfeeding is exhausting, especially lack of sleep, etc. Uh, and then I'm doing everything else. Um, and that's just not, that's not, not just physical support as in um, t t tidying up, cooking, making sure that house chores are, are done. You know, Rach does some of them as well, don't get me wrong, but you know, I'm doing a lot. Um, and, but also emotional support. Like she's got no one to speak, to talk to one-to-one -to -one because we're in lockdown about her nipples hurting and what to do about that. So, and that's why luckily we had a neighbor come to us uh, before lockdown, obviously, wink, wink. No, it was before lockdown. Um, uh, to give advice because you can look in forums, but you know, when you're worried and you can look at forums, you can Google stuff, but you know, when you're worried about something, especially medical, <coughs> you get caught up in like these, this loop of, oh, I Google this, it could be this. And then you check this, check that. And you end up going around in circles. So it was actually, you need someone to speak to that emotional support, someone to listen to you. That I would like that is us there's no substitute for someone actually just listening uh, to how you're feeling um and so i'm I'm that emotional support as well, so therefore my workload has dramatically or my output shall I say has dramatically decreased, and initially I, I feel guilt about this because I'm like no nah. see my whole thing is uh to every day to keep pushing, to do more, to do more, to like have good output, to be uh, successful as it were. And um, what I've really realized now is that I would rather look back on this next six months, uh, let's say the first six months and think I spent loads, I did a fraction of the work I could have done but I spent loads of time with my kid as opposed to the opposite way around because you're never going to get those months back again. And we watched this documentary about child development and it said that the first three months are the most important um, for the child's the child, yeah, developing. So what I do with Eve is in the morning time, I get up and I, as soon as I see her, I'll like pick her up and I'll um, hold her close look at her in the eyes she's looking back at me and she, her focus ain't great because she's only five weeks old six weeks old should I say and but you know if I move my head she tracks me with her eyes like kind of not very smoothly but she's tracking me so she can see where I am I dance with her so I have a and I, I listen to all like 50s 60s music kind of bit of dirty dancing type music um, as in the soundtrack and uh you know it's all very sweet nice meat you can you can kind of dance with a baby to that so she's close to me she's getting rocked at the same time i'm singing to her you can call it singing and that's supposed to be really good for a kid's development and um i'm really conscious because i'm on camera that's something on my mouth but sod it you know this, that's life isn't it you know when like you <laughs> you meet someone and you're chatting to them and uh, you then after you chat to them, you realize you had something on your mouth or in your nose and they never said it to you. Like, how come you never said it to me, man? You know, so, help me out. But uh, obviously you can't say it to me because you can't speak to me. But um, anyway, yes. So with Eve, um, looking at her, touching her, being close to her, like giving her a kiss on the head and kiss on the cheek and, and kind of uh, that interaction. Uh, this is the big reason why uh, one, my workload is, well, output, output has gone down. But more importantly, I've readdressed where I spend my time. So I deleted Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. They're gone. Yesterday, my phone was turned on for 40 minutes, four zero. That's it for the whole day. I haven't turned my phone on yet today. I am going to use Instagram or use my phone once a day for about an hour. That's this is the plan. Okay, so I'm not saying this is exactly going to happen, but this is what I plan to do. Because my attention span when I try to do meaningful work is fragmented by Instagram. I want to be an example to my kid. And 
I think what kind of child or person is she going to grow up to be? And how much of that is going to be, I'm going to be responsible for and Rach, obviously. What I have noticed with young women, because I never paid attention to it before, you know, uh, growing up, I was kind of, I had female friends, but I mostly spent time with lads, you know, and, uh, but I was aware, obviously, of girls. <clears throat> and, uh, but now, I know like when you got a, a daughter, you start to notice, think like, oh, what kind of girl is she going to grow up to be? And I, I have started noticing now that, and I, I have maybe I just don't pay attention to boys because I don't have a son. But I look at young women, girls, they are glued to their phone, most of them. Walking down the street around my neighborhood, they're like, the phone is in front of their face. It's, it, their, their reality is being filtered through this phone. And two of them could be walking together and they're looking at their phones, at the, the, each other's phone at the same time instead of looking at each other talking. And while this can seem like it's unavoidable, singularity, eventually the phone is going to become more and more integrated into us until it's a chip in our body and everything is, uh, we can't escape it. Yeah, you can say that and be kind of, uh, take that attitude, fair enough. But Instagram is great. It's a great tool to get yourself out there. It speeds up your your ability to connect with people in a way that nothing else has so it's fantastic i love instagram brilliant for creating getting stuff out but we have to ask ourselves as a, as a self-employed person someone who promotes yourself how much time are you spending creating versus consuming and what are you consuming i do i've done teacher trainings and where I've talked about Instagram, people ask, or I talk about like branding on Instagram and how to get loads of followers. Let's be clear here. The metric in terms of how successful you are on Instagram is how many people follow you. That's it. That is the metric, what, what most of us, how most of us see value on Instagram. And there are loads of ways you can um, get followers on Instagram. There's tons of ways. But if we're honest, the number one way to get a lot of followers is to be good looking. Bombshell. If you're not classically good looking or contemporary uh, in terms of um, kind of uh, have contemporary good looks, then you need to do stuff that physically looks impressive. So, for example, if I give you a practical example, um, I mean, for men, it's a bit easier because a lot of Western aesthetics is based on the greeks if you look at the statue of david it's uh, by michelangelo his body is slim athletic um six-pack big shoulders you know legs but he's, he's a slim guy and that hasn't really changed i mean when you think of when we see uh, uh, the ideal body type for male i'm doing a little bunny inverted commas here that's what people think of and what's advertised for women, it's it's kind of gone up and down. It's changed with culture and trends, and obviously geographically it changes as well. But uh, so, God, it must be so hard for women. I mean, it's hard enough for men, but for women to think like, what's the in thing now? You know, what do I have to try and look like now to be accepted? But ultimately, if you look a certain way, whatever the culture is telling you where, where you are at that time, people are going to follow you, all right? And then you start, then naturally you're going to think, Okay, my value is what I look like. And the closer I look to this ideal, the more people are going to like me, follow me, uh, then brands want to sponsor me, students want to hire me, or people want to know me. Okay, so your whole value of yourself is based on what you look like. This is set, you're setting your, a kid up here, or a kid is being set up by the algorithm, more importantly, for failure, for, for mental health destruction body dysmorphia all that stuff so now if you're not good looking um, then do something physically impressive put your leg behind your head stand on one hand all that kind of stuff um, and, and these are the, these are the two things a surefire way to get 
but get popular on Instagram. But um, if it's, you haven't you haven't got that, then you know you have to have a skill, you have to add value, um, be creative, do good artwork, something like that. Okay, but essentially it's driven by the aesthetic, typically speaking, because it is a photography platform. So now, this directly affects how much I use my phone because when I'm with Eve, I'm looking at her. Okay, she's doing nothing. <laughs> like she's just looking at my generally my forehead area. She tends to look at my forehead or my hairline. I don't know why, but she kind of got these big blue eyes and um, and she's looking at me. And I, my phone has been there before on the side. And I'm thinking, I'm so tempted to check my phone for no reason. Often the reason is I'm checking to see if someone like who liked my last post on Instagram. Like who gives, who cares? This is my kid in front of me looking at me. I could think, oh, it's a baby. Then they don't, they're not picking up much. And my phone is here. I could be doing a little bit of work as I look after my kid. No, you're not, you're doing neither. You're not doing work. That's not good quality, productive work. And you're also physically there with your kid, but not emotionally. So you might as well not be there at all. So it has to be one or the other. And I've decided that um, my kid is more important than anything now. Those three months, the, the first three months, um, I'm I that's this is my she's my project now. She's what I need to to look after. And when I do work now, it's on the laptop. Okay, you can do a lot on your phone, but what you find on your phone is you start scrolling. You start scrolling. It's hard to type. When you've got your laptop, I don't have a login here for my Instagram on my laptop, so I can't go on Instagram. Um, and like yesterday, for example, I was on my phone for forty minutes, and I did. Work on my website. I redesigned my platform. Uh, free weeks trial available. And I, um, what else did I do? Sorted out my taxes. I um, worked on a workshop. So developing this workshop that I've been um, put on the back burner for ages. But actual productive work as opposed to scrolling. What are the people thinking? What are the people doing? Uh, how many likes did my f f thing get? Um, re replying to DMs that, that don't really... Uh, I mean, it's important when someone messages you to message them back, but to get caught up in these long-winded conversations on direct message is a waste of time for me and should be for everyone, I think. Emojis, laughing faces, gifts, all this stuff is great. It doesn't replace human contact. And for the person who asked me, I'm sorry I forgot your name, um, they said they feel lonely at the moment in lockdown. And they said, I want to, I need social media because I don't, I can't see people. I mean, what do you think as the the listener here? By the way, if you're watching on video, I had to switch camera there because uh, battery ran out as I thought it would. But yeah, is is it, we're thinking it's going to replace human contact, but maybe, and I'm not saying I, I have the right answer here, instead of spending that time on social media, you could do a course online. You could study. Uh, like I'm thinking about going back to college and studying psychology in DCU. Um, but you could do something like that perhaps you could join a, a group uh, where you have zoom calls or something but I for me texting is uh, it's like morse code it's I mean it's handy to say I'll meet you at this time or yes no that's about it uh, but beyond that it's for me it's a waste of time um, and this this is the reason why I started a podcast because I want to, I love meeting people I love we think we all do but and some of us are shy and shyness is a disease as in a disease uh, I think I don't think anyone likes being shy particularly um, but social media can be great if you're if you're not if you're socially awkward and you're like oh this is a lot easier than than actually having to speak to someone because it's so um, difficult you know it's awkward what if I say the wrong thing I can't take it back then uh, or I do the wrong thing um, and this is what I'm conscious of how Eve is going to grow up I want her to be um, able to connect with people to be an affectionate person to be uh, to understand her body to be have good proprioception and this is why I do exercise with her exercise her legs and I'm changing a nappy, exercise her arms, I even look up, down, left, right, get her to exercise her eyes, her head as well, the whole lot, give her some tummy time. Because I know this this technology is always going to be there. And she can always um she can always 
learn how to use the latest iPad or probably by the time she's of age, it will be like a uh, virtual reality or something. She can pick that up. But the fundamental building blocks of, blocks of any person for me is how they connect with other people and uh, and then how you understand yourself. Because So I'm trying to be present with her. I know we say that a lot in yoga. But to spend time, I just look at her and she's just looking back at me. We're looking at each other. <laughs> um, but it's um, it's very rewarding. And it's, it's, it's good to know you're needed. I know that sounds like maybe a bit pathetic, but I spent so much of my life going, what's the point in my life? Like, I mean, I, I, I'm a, I, I had an instinct. I want to look after someone, some people. I would love if we had like three kids. The only thing stopping me is money. Uh, three kids and we're just chilling i'm like 50 years old we got a five-year-old a 10-year-old and whatever 11 year old and um you know we're watching a movie together and maybe i'm falling asleep and you know oh look dad's asleep again and that's like my little tribe i know that word gets used a lot but my little clan as we say in ireland um and uh yeah i I'd, i would really love that so please god fingers crossed that can happen um I just just the reason why someone brought up uh, fatherhood to me, and again I won't say names, but thank you for your question about fatherhood. And their situation was they said that they got into a relationship, had a kid with this person, and then he didn't want to be uh, the father. Well, he didn't want to be like uh, play father, as it were. Like he he I think he left her and the child. Um, and the question was like that transition how difficult is it or easy it is it's a really t tough one to answer because i don't know the circumstance to which you had the child like was it planned or not and um, for me and rach i we went off the contraception it said like let's just keep going <laughs> you know what i mean and um if we have a kid great it could be in next month it could be next year turned out it was you know a couple months later so that was already in mind and we'd already been living together for i know it was only a year but we spent all our time together i met her family she met my family and um we just we both wanted that to be to be parents so yes it's the thing the things that's changed i would say is people say it affects your sex life it hasn't affected ours i mean obviously you got after you have a kid you got to wait and etc but um you got i i think like uh just not speaking about your case the person asked this question now but generally speaking and this ties into fertility as well fellas you you know how looking after your, your missus right and I, I mean like uh, i don't mean financially i mean physically looking after them hugging them kissing them giving little foot massages all that stuff it's a daily practice all right uh, asking them how they are, tell them I love you, sweetheart. I love you, darling. You know you're the, you're you're beautiful. You know, um, uh, and okay, you know, find things about your your partner that you really love, and and tell them. Uh, I think in in the Irish culture, definitely. I I don't know if I know this because my parents are Irish and I lived there for twenty years. I've been living there for twenty years. People don't take compliments very well, especially women. You say, oh, you got gorgeous eyes. Oh, go away out of that. So, oh, you know, in America, you say you got gorgeous eyes. There. Oh, thank you. So have you. Or, you know, you've got lovely hair or whatever. Um, it's this thing of like um, putting ourselves down. Well, and I don't know if Irish men, Englishmen are considered to be romantic, but romantic isn't like buying flowers and all that stuff. That Flowers die. So how you speak how you interact with them give them a kiss give them a hug all that stuff that's what creates a good sex life i think i'm not a sex expert here but you can't just like not speak to the person kind of you go about your day they go about their day and all of a sudden it's like darling it's six o'clock to the bedroom there i mean i'm now I'm, 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 again I'm not a foreplay expert here but it's all part of the package you know you yeah to be intimate with them doesn't mean you have to have sex all the time but to actually um to hug them to cuddle them and uh, to look into their eyes, to dance with them. You know, I know we're in lockdown, but put on some tunes, dance around the room. You've got a kid, you can dance with the kid as well. Um, I think that makes a difference to your your uh, your sex life, right, for one. 
and I was asked to talk about fertility. I don't know about women, as in what they can do to optimize their fertility. Um, uh, Aline, Helena Tubridy is actually, uh, she was on episode, I'm not sure which one, but about 10 episodes before this, and she's an expert in fertility, natural fertility coach. But my experience as a man is a few things. Number one, if you're a fella or if you're a, you have a fella in, as your partner, keep your testicles cool. They're on the outside of the body for a reason. I believe it's three degrees they need to be below your body temperature. And I never put my laptop on my lap because if you feel the underside of your laptop, you know, haven't even turned this on yet, it's, it's heated. Uh, and if you have your laptop on you for three, four hours a day, your testicles are at a higher temperature than they should be. This is not an optimal for your, your sperm to be healthy. I'm not a doctor. This is just research I've done myself and trying to put good practices. I mean, I'm no spring chicken, you know, so I've got to optimize my health as best I can. So keep your testicles cool for a start. Um, your body weight. And this is not to body shame anyone, but let's be honest. Uh, Helena said this herself. That's the number one thing. If you're carrying extra weight as a fella, your testosterone is going to be affected. Your sperm count is going to be affected. What you eat is more important than what exercise you do. Uh, so diet is most of how your weight is. Drinking enough water. Um, so I make sure that I very rarely will eat sugar. Um, very rarely. I don't eat like re refined processed food. I very rarely eat takeaways. Uh, I, I mean, naturally, I have a lower body fat percentage, I would say, than the most, maybe. Um, but I have been fat. I have been overweight in the past. Chubby, round face. I've showed pictures on Instagram of this. I had a belly. I mean, I used to, like, keep my T-shirt on because I remember someone actually commented once in a nightclub, said that my the shirt on my thing was going to burst because my belly was so big. And I was like, oh, God, that's terrible. It's like, really embarrassing. But um, keeping your... Uh, your um, weight down through eating well, clean food. Now, whether you can be vegan or meat eater or vegetarian, that's really up to you. But natural, um, organic food as well, reduce your pesticides. And that includes like put, putting hot food into plastics bad because it's got P BPA. And uh, this obviously gets into the food. And you, you want to reduce how much chemical you use. This is part of the reason why I use... Um, I use filtered water and I put natural minerals in it, natural trace minerals. Then once you've got your food, uh, I mean, let it be 80% good stuff, 20% naughty stuff. That, that's a fair ratio to start off with. <coughs> um, exercise. It's, it's difficult, I know. I mean, I'm going through a stage now where I'm, I'm finding it hard to motivate myself to exercise sometimes, right? It happens. Especially you're at home and you can't go to a, a studio or a gym and therefore that's your space where you do your stuff. You're doing it at home. So the dog's barking, baby might be doing something, your partner might be doing something. Um, when, you, when I exercise, I, I said this before, I, I do it like my life depends on it. If I'm running, I run like someone running after me. I'm running after someone. Like I, I need it for my survival. I um I got the music pumping, and I'm just I'm doing it a hundred percent. I'm not going for the motions, which can be easy to do. Same in yoga, you can kind of arms up, arms down. When you put your arms up, are you really putting your arms up? Uh, and there's a difference. And this just takes practice to be able to optimize how we use our body. But to do that every single day. I think, personally speaking, um, as a as a man, um, the, getting your aggressive aggression out is important. Like I I think oh, and I shouldn't go into a lot of detail here, really, should I? Because I should probably do this with someone who's um, maybe like an anthropology or sociology expert. But um, aggression is important. Um, it's how you channel that aggression. I actually think this is the reason why MMA and mixed martial arts cage fighting has become so popular because um, I think to some degree this whole toxic masculinity, which can exist, um, but you've seen the whole Gillette campaign where like, which was an absolute flop for Gillette, but they try to conflate 
boys roughhousing to like Harvey Weinstein or, or, or the Me Too movement. Like boys roughhousing. Boys, little boys, because I, I, I was a little boy, need physicality. Most of them. Now, I'm not saying all the boys all the time, clearly. But as I think most men or uh, most men that I've interacted with need physicality. So whether that be uh, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, um, play fighting, judo, uh, football, something where you're you're in combat and uh, but it's done in a controlled way where you respect your partner or your your the opposition. Um, I think that's really needed. Uh, I, I this could be complete bro science here, um, like pseudoscience as it were, but I know that if I don't, I, I need to get it get that out that energy out that that yang energy. Um, Otherwise, I just get sad. I get depressed. And when you're depressed, when you're sad, you don't want to have sex. Um, another thing is if, you're, if your partner is a man, uh, compliment them. I, I know that they should be complimenting you, definitely, looking after you, being nice to you. But say to them, darling, you look good today. You look like you look, um, you know, uh, looking athletic or you've lost some weight or you've put on weight or just give them, like men need it as much as women do. And... Uh, you know, what, say like to your man if he's started exercising, whatever you're doing, darling, keep doing it because you look great. And he'd be like, oh, do I? You know, I feel, I actually feel much better about myself. You know, empathize that it can be difficult every day to keep going. But um, when you start work, looking after yourself, eating well, moving, sleeping well, um, which can be challenging, and then you and then you start having sex, good sex often, it, you start that becomes a cycle, right? I'm going to keep this going. Um, yeah, so that's 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 my my advice for fertility. Um, I, I suppose that's probably not uh, very scientific, and I appreciate that. But um, yeah, I think that that to me that's common sense. Um, you know, and, and to guys that were like, man, I can't go gym, I can't lift anything, so I can't exercise. As you've seen the other day on Instagram, lift your missus or your dog or whatever. Something that you're able to lift, you lift them up like 10 times uh, and do that four times. And that's your, your instead of lifting a barbell, obviously lift them carefully and put them down carefully. But And then it gives you that physicality with your other half. Um, yes, you know, that's probably enough. Uh, I'm not a fertility expert, but I do know that uh, these things... Maybe it's a coincidence or not. They've obviously worked for me. And men, you are half the formula when it comes to making a baby. A lot of, but in the past, it was like, oh, just man's got to have the sex, have the sex. And then it's the woman has to do the rest. No, it's the quality of the sperm. And um, that that obviously is so important as well. So um, this has been an hour. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be 20 minutes. Um, thank you for the, the confidence uh, and the, the, the questions that you asked. I um, I appreciate it a lot because I'd like to continue doing these. Uh, as you can probably tell, I feel a bit awkward doing them, uh, especially on video because, you know, I don't know if I've got something on my face or how I come across. But uh, I, I love this medium, as you know. I love podcasts and I think it's fantastic. And <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's going to happen for this lockdown thing, right? In December, they say it's gonna they're gonna change the restrictions, but I'm on the fence about this about COVID, as in um, I won't go into that in detail. Okay, but I would really love to have start having guests again. Thank you for your suggestions regarding guests. If you're looking to get in contact with me on my website or sorry, not website. If you're looking to get in contact with me on WhatsApp or Instagram, they are only on my phone, so I'm gonna be contact be able to. I'll get back to every 24 hours on that. But otherwise, I'm contactable via email all the time because I'm on my laptop. Uh, we'll see how long this social experiment lasts for because I'm not. you can't say you're going to do something forever. Well, you can, but it doesn't mean you're going to. Um, I mean, but I have good intentions to do that and to give my attention to the people that need it most for the moment. So thank you for your attention. Oh, well, that was a smooth transition. And um, I really appreciate it. As you know, I have my platform you can sign up to. November is going to be the last month where I'm doing the three-week trial. After that, 
I plan to do no free week trial and, and maybe um, I'm thinking about a promotion in January, January sale as it were. We'll see though. Uh, I'm doing a teacher training in February with um, Carol Murphy and Tashi Dewa and that is going to be online 200 hour. So if you'd like to see that, you do kevinballyoga.ie for all information. And uh, make sure you look after yourself. If you have a partner, look after them, a baby, give them loads of attention. Um, social media is fantastic, it's brilliant, it's great. But understand, are we addicted? Can we go to the toilet without taking our phone with us? Uh, <laughs> and this is something only you can answer. Um, do you find you're looking at stuff that doesn't help you and that um, if it doesn't, get rid of it and focus on the people that help you and the things that help you. So thank you for helping me, for listening to me because I love doing this and if it wasn't for you watching or listening, um, it wouldn't be possible. So much love to you and I'll catch up with you next week.